Hey everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio, Frontline Mindset. I am very excited today because we have a, a past guest, National Fire Radio, on with us, Jeff Dill, Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. Jeff, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about yourself, my friend? I, I, I'm well. I'm coming. I'm getting over the uh, a little bout of COVID, but I'm I'm trucking through it. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's been you know interesting to see how I get short of breath and I can you know doing one thing and not the other. <laughs> I, I hear you, and uh, you know we're struggling out here in Vegas with 28 degree weather, so it's uh, it's it's a little it's our winter time now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Jeff, we were uh, just really quickly. Um, I, I guess a Reader's Digest bio of who who you are for those who may not have listened to the previous podcast. Sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a retired fire captain from the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, 26 years on the job, first started as a volunteer, then moved into career, moved up pretty quickly in the ranks. Um, so uh, my last day was January 2nd, 2015. But uh, in between there, a little thing called Hurricane Katrina changed everything for me in 2005. And uh, that's when I went back afterwards, talking to so many that struggled. I went back, got my master's degree and became a licensed uh, counselor. And then in 2010, my wife, Karen, and I, we founded Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. And uh, that is when we started tracking and validating fire, EMS, and dispatcher suicides. So if you've ever seen any numbers out there in magazines or on the USFA or NFPA, NVFC, or even media, uh, that data comes from us. Uh, at this date right here on, uh, in January, early January, we have validated 1,995 of these tragic events. And I have personally spoken to about 1,940 chief officers to validate all the data, the methods, the reasons. Uh, I've heard a lot. Uh, we, we take all that and we build workshops around the information from our brothers and sisters, as well as the family survivors. And to this date, I've traveled well over a million miles across the U.S. and Canada speaking, presenting, trying to bring this awareness uh, to our brothers and sisters. And the the flagship program, as I like to call it, but is... Uh is the, the i want to make sure you like just give me the title so i don't screw it up because i say saving those who save others our yes correct our original workshop uh, for the philadelphia fire department way back in 2011 was saving those who save others and we've expanded it all into internal size up uh, and our latest one is uh, pts versus moral injury based on our white paper that we completed early in 2023 all right and i mean this is uh there's not a, there's not, uh, in, in North America, I guess I'm going to just go very specific to North America, but like there's not a, a, an area of the country, the United States, Canada, that is not affected at some point by firefighter suicide. No, you are absolutely correct with that uh, statement. And, it, and, it's, and it's a struggle, no matter our, our volunteers or our, our dispatchers or EMS, military, wildland. We, we track all those suicides. Uh, everyone needs to be prepared, be organized. Uh, and, and we're a firm believer at FBHA that you should have a complete behavioral health program. 
which is more than having just a peer support team and uh, EAP program. Uh, we, you need to, for us, it's a 12-point plan. We actually consult, Rob, with uh, numerous departments on creating their behavioral health program. That starts all the way from the academies, taking care of families, chaplains, counselors, uh, building your policies and guidelines, as well as retirement. You know, how do we take care of our people after retirement? Uh, you know, one of our mantras at FBHA is we want you to have a great career, but we want you to have a better retirement. Yeah. And that's, you know, I've always prided myself uh, just locally where I work because we have our retirees coming into the firehouse. Like it mm -hmm. is an open door and, you know, some of the guys may, may make jokes, but like they do understand how valuable it is for them to be able to come in and, uh, and, 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 and sit and talk with us and just have that cup of coffee at the kitchen table. Well, it is important. Right? You know, over this past week, uh, we've had a lot of retirees out here in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, going to their retirement parties, every one of them mentioned the emotional toll. It takes on oneself. It takes on the family. And going into retirement, how they're preparing and trying to understand a little bit more about that. So that's that's why we, we teach that early on in the academies, because you and I both know that uh, 25 years or so, it goes by in a heartbeat. Yeah. And building those relationships is very important, uh, you know, whether it's a, a family, your, your children, or a partner or spouse, uh, work on that first thing, you know, coming out of the academy and keeping it strong. Yeah. Uh, March 4th will be my 20. Um, yes. and it happened fast. And I, yes. I, and, and I just, it's, it's so cliche, but I remember, um, walking into Clover street in Poughkeepsie and, uh, Joe Hatch told me, sit down kid and, uh, relax and enjoy the next 20 years. And I was like, but like, you know, and it just, uh, it, it, it happened that fast. So we're, you know, the topic, unfortunately, or fortunately for us is firefighter suicide, but specifically, I wanted to kind of ask you some questions about this today, because we've, I think we've seen more awareness raised in firefighter mental health and firefighter suicide, uh, especially with your work and, and your organization's work, um, the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. But with, with that, with that awareness, I still sometimes see um, not not a lack, but like how, like just quite frankly, how do we have the conversation with somebody? Because I, you know, I I, I watch on social media when we, we lose somebody, and then all of a sudden after that, we we say why we you know like did anybody ask? Did anybody have that conversation? Uh, you know, it's, and believe me, doing what I do, I, I wonder that myself. Were they just alone and no one wanted to approach them? And, you know, in, in that moment, what I call cognitive disconnect, where they base that decision to take their life on the emotion they're going through at that moment. Uh, if someone was there to, to listen to them or pick up the signs and to approach them in that aspect, instead of someone just saying, oh, Jeff's just being Jeff. And, and no. Um, they're, they're probably throwing some outward signs. And I'm not saying everyone does, but I would say a very, very high percentage showing signs that they're struggling with something at that moment. And, and how, do, how do we approach them? How do we talk about it? Recognizing those issues, approaching them, having that conversation. It, it, it should be something that's mandatory in, in every department, in every, actually every fire academy. 
saying, hey, you know what, this, this is a part of our world now. In, in 2010, when I started talking about PTS and depression and suicide, uh, FBHA got beat up. I mean, there's, we, we got the email still saying, uh, you know, that behavioral health, uh, you know, military PTS and military and, and suicides, you're making up the numbers. And there weren't the organizations around back then in 2010. So it was, uh, it's been a very positive thing to see how fast it's grown the behavioral health awareness in the fire service and as well as counselors understanding our world more just thousands of counselors that i've spoken to as well as the development of peer support yet we're still losing people and that's that's the frustrating part from my point of view i mean we're looking at another hundred this year fire dms another hundred at about a 65 percent reporting and so it's it's the continued effort, and, and I tell our brothers and sisters that have organizations that are trying to promote uh, behavioral health within their own department or their own area, is that unfortunately we'll know the ones we lose, but we'll never know the ones we save. And so just stay the course, keep on doing what you're doing, and uh, hopefully you know that word will pass around to those that are struggling at that moment. I think too, like uh, one of the things to like, so we've at, we're at a hundred, and that's only at sixty five percent reporting. So, like, there are plenty who are, and and I remember when you and I first met. So, for everybody that's listening, Jeff came up and did a presentation. Was it back in twenty sixteen or twenty uh, seventeen? I, I thought it was like twenty fourteen or fifteen, but it, it could be. You know, my mind, the years slip by. <laughs> yeah, um, and when Jeff and I first started to talk about this, because uh, no, it was it was after sixteen because that's when I got promoted and I was at Firehouse Expo. And that's where okay. I met you. Um, okay. But I like where I'm going with this on the reporting. You know, he said 100 this year, 65 percent reporting. When I learned that Jeff tracked and the organization tracks firefighter suicides, I think it was a hammer of sadness hit me when I started to say, "Hey, Jeff, have you heard about this one? Did you hear about this one? Did you hear about this one?" And in a five-minute conversation, I probably named off five people who I knew, friends of mine, who had committed suicide, mm -hmm. and nobody nobody knew to report them. Like there, right. and, there, and that's and some at the time there wasn't a reporting system then, but like we still like it speaks to the organization that one you added their their names to the to you know to the numbers and we we've to say we backdated it but like they're not forgotten but that right. was like that was just a you know a quick conversation of us and i was like yeah and, and right there we had five more names on mm -hmm. on the list so to speak um yeah, and you're right i i get that wherever i speak you know someone will come up and say hey uh we we had two in our department that completed suicide and i'll look at my dad and say i don't have those and and yes, it is important. We we do it because we want to remember our brothers and sisters. We want to understand the reasons why they're taking their lives. And then also to help families, survivors. Um, uh, 
a very important component yeah. to that because they feel ostracized. Uh, they, they were a part of a department you know, going to the parties and things. And, and so many departments, unfortunately, they, they tend to forget about the family. So it's for the families, at times, it's a double loss. They lose their loved one and then they lose the, the family. And a lot of departments are told not to talk to the families because they're afraid a lawsuit might happen because things happen and they didn't they weren't proactive, which is which is really not a reality. But that's the thought right. process in some departments. So I have that member, you know, I, I'm 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 at work or you know, I'm a boss, I'm a senior firefighter, or maybe I'm just a junior guy. It doesn't really matter where what rank I hold in the department or the years I have, how do I approach somebody about this conversation? What does that conversation have to look like if I'm concerned that, you know, I'm concerned about Jeff Dill and I want to have the conversation? What what are some of the, the tools that I can use to approach that conversation? Well, it, it's different dynamics, whether you're an officer or you're just, you know, a regular blue shirt down there. Either way, the, the attempt should be to make it very non-confrontational, non-disciplinary. So if I'm an officer and I say, hey, you know what, uh, I'm starting to see something in Jeff, I, I think I need to approach him. So I'll just say, hey, let's go out to the bay floor and uh, you know, let's just sit on, you know, on the front end of the, of the bumper and the engine and, and let's have a conversation. Uh, you know, to not make it like, oh, man, he's calling me to the office and I have to follow him to the office and talk to him. And, and and I always tell people, always keep it to I statements. It's so important because many times the officers especially won't see all the little intricacies that are going on within the, the blue shirts. So if a, a firefighter goes to the officer and says, man, you know, Jeff's out there, he's kicking buckets and swearing and, and all sorts of things and then you go out and approach say hey uh, you know a couple of the guys telling me you're uh, you know you're having some anger issues no if someone approaches you as an officer and tells you these things you need to go out and observe it and then you can keep that conversation to i statements which is so important because once i as a person approach someone and start talking about it, say hey uh, you know some of the guys are seeing these things it's going to, they'll tune out very quickly. And right. all they're thinking is, hey, who's stabbing me in the back? And so always make it high statements if, if you can at, at, at all observe. And then approach that person and say, hey, you know, I, I'm concerned. Um, you know, this is, this is off the table right now. This is between you and I. But you also have to remember about confidentiality. And, and confidentiality is, is very, very difficult to uh, instill in people because they want to be there for their brother or sister and they want to help them out. But we are mandated reporters. So e either way, when you approach someone, it should be very non-confrontational and say, hey, uh, you know, I, I want you to know, I, I want to have a conversation with you. I I've noticed some issues that are going on, whether it's you're late for work, uh, you know, just your attitude, you seem to isolate. And just let them know that, hey, I'm here. I'd like to have a confidential discussion with you, but understand that with that confidentiality, there comes some requirements. That if, if we have a conversation and you're struggling uh, with elderly abuse or uh, uh, um, child abuse or suicidal thoughts, homicidal or illegal acts, I'm bound by 
the confidentiality. You you can't walk in and say, hey, we keep this confidential. And the person says, well, you know, I, I just last night I really lost it. I went out and I shot three of the neighbor's dogs. Well, you have to then that turns into, hey, I got to report that because I'm a mandated reporter. So it, it, it becomes very difficult because people are thinking, well, geez, if I, if I tell you something, uh, you're going to you have to up, you know, upgrade it to the battalion chief or something. And but you have to lay the groundwork out. And so it's these type of conversations are very difficult uh, just to walk up and say, hey, let's talk. And I think most of the times we also have to learn, learn how to listen. And that's 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 role reversal for us in the fire and EMS world. It's in dispatcher world as well, because we're always the one asking the questions. So if you approach someone and say, hey, yeah, I, I've seen you really start to isolate. And, and I'm concerned because that's not your personality. Is there something going on that, uh, you know, I, I would be a, I'm a great listener. Uh, please, you know, advise me, you know, why I see these changes. And then just go silent. Let them talk. Let them approach it. And in society, it's very difficult for people to have silence. If you've ever been in an elevator with three or four people, it's uncomfortable when we're all standing around there. You don't know each other, but you're in silence. Well, when you ask a brother or sister some very, you know, a question about their behavioral health and things that you've seen, you need to be silent. Let them formulate their, their thoughts. Just don't fill that air. I mean, you could always say, hey, take your time and think about what you want to say, uh, but let them control the conversation as to where they're going. And, and then it's important to pick up key words when they say something, especially if you don't understand what they mean. And, and I've done it thousands of times, Rob, and I'm sure you have too. When I say, well, you know, thanks, Jeff. It's, you know, it's, uh, I'm really struggling. It was, it was a rough night last night, and, you know, I'm struggling today. Well, it's, there's nothing wrong with saying, geez, uh, Rob, uh, what, what's a rough night? What, what does that look like? You know, for yeah. me, it's, you know, for me, it's my watching my Patriots get spanked all over, you know, Foxborough, where for them, it's their loved ones finally said, hey, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm out. I can't handle your, your anger issues or whatever. And, and so making sure that you understand that you're on that same wavelength is absolutely important. You just can't assume what they're going to say. And, and then you have to always, a lot of times, it's okay to relate to a story if they say, I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, a relationship issue. And, and just, uh, you know, I, I can empathize with you. I've, I've gone through relationship issues. But what's going on with you? And then turn it back to them so that you're not telling your story. And it all becomes about about you. So these things, they take practice. And I tell people, especially peer support team leaders, to do a lot of role play you know, amongst your team members. Pick out situations. Unfortunately, doing what I do, I've, I got thousands of different roles that we can play. But it's, I understand it's important. And when we do role play in our workshops, it's amazing how when we set up one person as the peer support team member and the other one as the person that's struggling with the issues, the peer support team member is always talking, doing most of the talking because they're trying to solve that person's issue. And you just can't. 
I, I can't do it as a counselor. I can be there to walk the walk with them, but it, it is totally up to them. And so just listening, give them guidance, let them know what the resources are for the department are absolutely imperative for those members. Let's talk about the resources real quick, because this is something that, you know, especially after you came to, to Fairview, I started to to set things up in my head, at least even if it was a game plan in my head and then write it down on paper, it wasn't officially adopted until recently with the department. But, um, you know, like having, having those resources laid out, right? Like you have to have, like what, what kind of resources do people need to have or, or should they have? when it comes to this stuff yeah you know when i started as the behavior health administrator for las vegas fire and rescue a couple of years ago uh, it was my intent all right i'm trying to provide every resource possible because not all one fits all one person and so if you're an organization you're thinking i need resources okay well let's first start with your employee system program uh, typically uh great people but they were never taught about our world and so they, they don't understand it they struggle a lot of people have that firm belief that oh well they work for the chief if i go see them they're going to call the chief which is not right uh and, but if it does happen and it has unfortunately um you have to have backups so you find counselors in your area that uh you can vet and, and we have questions that if your organization wants to uh, use our templates for questions to ask counselors, please just contact me. I'll, I'll send them to you. Uh, that, that's no problem whatsoever because this is nothing here to hide. We're all here to share this, this information. So you find resources in your area that, let's say first, take your people, your insurance, okay? Now, knowing that here in Vegas, knowing that many do not want to use the insurance. So now you have to find counselors in your area that work with first responders, but don't take your insurance. And so you offer that type of resource as well. How about statewide? Because the only good thing I ever found about COVID was that telehealth absolutely opened the door. So if I'm living in Albany and I want to talk to a first responder counselor that lives in Rochester, boom, I can make that call and sit, have a conversation like you and I are, are right here. Mm -hmm. And so finding that type of resource is, is imperative. Now we need to look at the spiritual and the relationship with uh, a, a religion. You know? And so now we have to offer different types of chaplains, whether it's a rabbi, uh, uh, you know, uh, an iman, a uh, Muslim um, a chaplain, Catholic, Lutheran, so now we have to have that type of resource as well. So now we need to look at what types of therapy can we offer in these, within these counselors? Is it EMDR? Is it uh, you know, uh, equine therapy? Is it CBT? Is it DBT? What can we offer? Is it uh, brain performance therapy, which we use out here in Vegas? Is, is it some type of mindfulness? And so there's different types of therapies. And that's the great thing about counselors knowing our world. They're bringing all these different types of therapies to help our stress and anxiety, our sleep issues, our depression, our PTS, our moral injury. And so when you start building those resources, now what about your peer support team? How do you get that resource? So what we found and what we use out in Vegas is we have a QR 
code. And within that QR code, people can just carry that on their phone and they can click on it. And it has a list of all these different types under different tabs, all these different types of information. These are your insurance company that you have to call to get a claim number. These are our first, our, our peer support teams. These are our chaplains. These are the counselors that work with us under our insurance. These are the counselors that don't work with, you know, don't have our insurance. And just providing that resource is absolutely imperative for our people because you can't be with them 24 seven. And so for them to have easy access is, is just something that every organization has to have. Yeah. There's a, and I was even thinking when we started, you started this too, like just, I mean, it's the simple thing of like making the, if a, if a firefighter can approach me and say, Hey, I'm, I'm suicidal or we have the conversation and now it's like, you know, they're suicidal. They have a plan like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they were, they they fit what normally would uh i'll say in the street we would be like okay you're coming with us to to mid hudson like we have it specifically now in policy to take them to we're we're taking them to a hospital outside of the area so we don't have to parade them in front of everybody like the the dignity aspect of this Mm -hmm. is going to be preserved right like that's that those are some of the things that i was thinking of in this resource but like this is even like it's so much beyond that because having that vetted list of people having a list of options because like i tell people all the time when they talk about like because i'm very open about going to therapy and mm-hmm. mental health stuff especially being on a critical and stress debriefing team yeah. um but like saying that it's like a pair of shoes that fits if if it's not fitting for you what works for me is not right. going to work for jeff dill mm-hmm. and it's not going right. to work for joe blow or whoever else so like mm-hmm. That's all these these things that go into this. So it's it's great to have all of these resources out because yeah, and, and you mentioned and you mentioned inpatient treatments. <clears throat> we have that in our uh, QR. Different ones that I have visited and vetted that work with first responders. One that is in California, or a couple in California, one in Texas. Uh, we have <clears throat> one in Arizona. Um, I'll be visiting one in Utah coming up. Uh, there's one in Illinois, and then uh, we have a couple right there in Vegas. So that, and, and I've done it. And the good thing is, is I don't have to tell my chief you know, that because that's my role as the behavior health administrator. I will meet someone, or I will pick them up and, and drive them over there, and we go through a back door. We don't have to parade through the front door, and uh, they meet us there. They take us right up to the second floor, which is the uh, first responder floor, and and now they're safe. They're secure. And, uh, and meanwhile, I, I'm always telling them, man, I, I commend you for asking for help and reaching out because going down these roads, it, it is dark and lonely. And, and I've been down that road and trying to think that you can handle it yourself is a serious error in judgment. Uh, these are, we're, we're all challenged in our lives and reaching out is our greatest strength. And then being there, walking the walk with them is also the greatest strength. Yeah. I, the positive reinforcement is uh, is huge because I, I and I'm just gonna like kind of shoot from the hip here, no pun intended. But like the the idea that when we're asking for help and why it's why the positive reinforcement is is so important because I think if you're in a busy system that's dealing uh, with mental health issues as like as far as your front line, like I know like one of my whole things was like, there was a point where I got 
you know, I'll say a little dark and I reached out for help. But like one of the biggest things I was concerned about was I know what our mental health system looks like in our ERs. I know what our our outreach programs look like. I, I know what all of this stuff is for somebody that I bring into the hospital and how much it fails. So like for me, that was the motivation to be like, all right, let's make sure we have this down because I don't want my guy or girl to be in this loop of it's not working. The system's failing. Like we, we're, we're going to build a system that is going to give them all the opportunities for success versus what we see. And, and like, cause I mean, it's, uh, there's a reason for it, but like, there's like, I, I'm acutely aware as a first responder of how to me, it seems dehuman, dehumanizing when I have to be, bring somebody inside who's seeking help. And now we're going to strip them out of their clothes and put them in paper scrubs. No, it, it's difficult. It's difficult, Rob, because uh, I'm a firm believer. Say uh, a firefighter in your department calls you up and says, hey, I'm struggling. I'm uh, dealing with addictions, heavy addictions, narcotics, yeah. alcohol, which is unfortunately a common theme. We as an organization need to do a lot better job in getting them the help, the right help, right. because sending them off for a 30-day is, is not cutting it anymore. There's national study that shows that if you're if you go for a 30-day treatment, inpatient treatment, you have a 54% chance of relapsing. That's giving them only a half a chance of coming through. The same study then shows that if they stay 45 to 60 days, that drops down to 18%. That is giving a person a chance. Right. And so when, when they're struggling, their job is on the line, and we say, hey, you got 30 days to go to inpatient, and we'll see how you do. Well, you know, it takes 10 days just to detox. And then you have 20 days to try to understand, you know, all of the, you know, your body understanding the addiction and, the, and then develop coping skills so that when we send you home after 30 days and you maybe follow up with a counselor on a weekly basis, that's not much of a plan in my book. And, and so we need to really start looking at, as organizations, all right, we need to send these people away for 45 to 60 days. But then that comes to a, a cost thing as well, because I'm a firm believer, if we're going to send them away 45 to 60 days, why should they have to use all their sick time or their vacation time? Right. Why do they have to use duty traits? Because now you come back, you know, it maybe comes back to his family, but unfortunately they have 18 duty trades to make up. They have no sick time, no vacation time. Does that not add additional stress to that person? So we're not, we're not giving them a second chance again. And so it falls, they can very easily fall prey to their addiction again. So, you know, these are valuable people. We invest a lot of time, a lot of fun money into training, but they've also invested a lot of time in helping out the community. They are an employee. And when you start thinking about 60 days, that's minuscule in a person's life. And so let's let's give them the best chance that we can. And, and you know what? We're not talking about sending 30 people away a year. Typically within an organization, it's usually anywhere between two to five. And, and so why can't we make that investment in, in our people? And, and so these are the things that, you know, I'm working on within our organization. 
let, let's help them out. Let's give them a chance of real life and not the stressors of, oh, man, I'm almost done. I got to get back. Oh, I owe all these duty trades and I'm all out yeah. of time. I, my, my kids want to go to Disneyland and yet I got no vacation time. So I got to do another duty trade. And, and so it just it builds again that stressors. So these are the things that we have to look at the, the long term effect of when they make that decision to say, hey, I need some help. I want to get some help. And so it's important in that aspect as well, Rob. I, you know, it, it, it reminds me of the uh, years ago reading an article about situational awareness in relation to uh, calling a mayday and how the Air Force and Navy and Marine Corps had to teach retrain pilots for punching out or ejecting out of aircraft mm -hmm. and that they would stay, they would ride the aircraft into the hillside or into the ground and land it permanently. But like, and essentially the struggle was we've spent so much money on you. Like you're at this point, education training and everything that's gone into it. You're worth more than the plane. Eject, eject, eject. Right. We've done the same thing for our firefighters. Like we have put so much money into them and like the time, I mean, like take away the human factor because they're still human beings. Um, right. But like they, we have to, we have to allow them to pull that ejection handle and eject out of that out of that vehicle without having to be responsible for the cost of it. And that's what the military had to do and say. And it's like, listen, like we can get you into another fighter plane. I can't train another fighter uh, pilot to like and just have them pop up like that. You know, if we keep doing uh, this. Absolutely. And so it goes back to that conversation that you're having with that member. If you can provide them those types of resources, they might really seriously start thinking about, hey, maybe I do need to have the, get the help. I, I know my job will be secure. I know my family will be t taken care of. I won't have to come back and do all these duty trades and things. And, and so they'll start thinking, hey, you know what? I, I, I can do this. I, I can go and get the help that I need, whether it's inpatient uh, or, or counseling. You know, that's so, so many people are afraid uh, of going to counseling. Uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're not there to to say, hey, do this and this will work. We don't know. We don't know as you walk in that door, what type of therapy is going to work. But we will walk the walk with you and you need to open up and, and talk to us. And don't believe that if you go to one, they're all going to be that way. Right. The, you know, try try a second, a third person. That's that's why I always give two or three different names to a person and say, give them a call because most will give you a 15 minute consultation. See who you really bond with and then make that appointment. And that's why that's why having those resources, Rob, if you were to say, hey, Jeff, uh, you know, I know some things here. Here's a list of three counselors. Give them a call. See which one you like, which one works for you. And, and you can tell when you have that instant bond with someone. I just, I just got a call last night from a firefighter I helped out down in the South. And he says, Jeff, this, this counselor, I absolutely love her. She's so down to earth. She gets our world. She's been working with first responders for years. He said, I, I just bonded with her in our first conversation. In fact, she stayed an extra hour with me. We talked for two hours. That's what you want to have. Because then that allows that firefighter to talk to other ones in their department and say, hey, I, I found this counselor and she really worked for me. Call her and see if you have that same bond. But if not, here's a couple other names that, to try.
And so having those resources is absolutely critical for our brothers and sisters when you're having that conversation. You just, you know, having that conversation is great, but just leaving it there, that's not enough. We have to make sure that we follow through. And that's the key is the follow-up. Say, hey, you know, hey, Jeff, I had a great conversation. Uh, you know, you're isolating. You're going to you know, follow up with a, a counselor. Here's the resources. Here's a couple. Of hey, let's talk next shift and uh, let's, let's see how you're doing. Mm-hmm. But also you can make an oral contract with someone. Hey, if, if you ever get to a point and you're, you know, you're thinking about killing yourself, and, and it is killing. It's not hurting. Hurting means I can run into that wall 10 times. Right. And you have to you have to be direct and, and have compassion. That's something FBHA has been talking since day one. Be direct. Do it with compassion and say, hey, if you're ever thinking about killing yourself, here's my phone number. Here's the resource list of our peer support team members. Will you promise me to call when you're having those thoughts of, of killing yourself? And that's it's important to build that oral contract because. We are people of honor. We want to help others. And if we give our word, we tend to stick to our word. A very high percentage of us tend to stick to our word. So building that oral contract is important. And the follow-up is just as important. Okay, let's let's talk next shift. And uh, let's see where you're at. Let's see if you call the counselor and things. Because I do want to walk the walk with you, my friend. And th- th- this is a conversation that can happen at any point in time in anybody's career but like i'm just because i'm thinking about laying groundwork like is this something that i can is this appropriate for me to have this conversation with probationary members as they're onboarding into the department i mean it's to say to them hey listen you know i want you to know like if you ever in in this in this career uh, it could be tomorrow it could be in five years it can be whenever that if you ever think of killing yourself like this is my number i want you to promise me you'll call me and like here's a list of resources like you know and do and essentially just repeat everything you just said so that they know from day one that like you're like you're in you know because i mean it's i I don't want to say it's crazy but like or how how do we how do we set the groundwork up for that even with somebody you know it's 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 very easy rob because here in, in vegas uh you know i've been here two and a half years i've talked to four academies on day one, when they meet with human resources in, in Vegas, the city of Vegas and Las Vegas Fire and Rescue does a great job. They will have me come in and talk to their cadets on day one at human resources when they're learning all about these different things. In fact, I have one coming up uh, on Tuesday, the 16th. Uh, I go in there, we have 33 new cadets. I will be talking to them and talking about the stress and anxieties of the academy and who we are, what your resources are. Uh, and then on the Thursday night, it's family night. And then I get another time, a chance to talk to their families. Say, these are the stressors that your loved ones will be going through. These are the stressors that you will be going through. Here's our QR code. These are our resources. Please feel free to give me a call if you see something in your, your loved one or if you see something in yourself you know, as you struggle with the stress through their, their career. And that's why I say, you know, that 12-point program, it is meeting them in the academy and it's working with the families. And so that uh, 
That is something that every organization should do, whether it's volunteer, military, wildland, on that day one, talk to them about behavioral health because it's not going away. It, it will be here forever because uh, I don't know about you, Rob, but I talked to a lot of people about it. The calls are a lot different than when I started in 1990. There, there's mm-hmm. a lot of anger out there, the mass casualty shootings. And so it, it's, it's a struggle to uh, see our brothers and sisters deal with these, you know, different types of calls that are, are just unreal. And then you have the moral injury aspect of the job. And so these type of things need to be addressed in day one in the academies as well as for their families. Jeff, you've said this before a couple times for an interview. Can you kind of define this moral injury of the job? Yeah, absolutely. For those who don't under um, understand or never heard the term about moral injury, uh, you can download our the white paper for free off our webpage at ffbha.org. But um, in, in a nutshell, moral injury is the belief that as human beings, we're born to help others to do good. And you get into the first responder world and you're trained to save lives. And you know as well as I do, Rob, our percentages of saving lives is very, very minuscule. You know, right. the, the drownings, the heart attacks, the vehicle accidents. So we see a lot of death and we start feeling that those emotions of, of helplessness, shame, guilt, that we, we're not doing what we got into the job to do. And, and so where trauma or PTS is more trauma-based, fear-based of the things that you see, moral injury is more of the things that you feel and the emotions that you go through. And one of the biggest one parts of moral injury is betrayal. Betrayal by management. Hey, they promised us more people. Uh, they promised us better working conditions, better pay. Or why am I being fired because I didn't get a vaccination shot? I feel betrayed by our organization. Or they can be betrayed by others, uh, people around them that they work with who are harassing and bullying them. Or uh, they see uh, some brother or sister do something wrong and they feel betrayed that, hey, why are you doing that? We, we're supposed to have the integrity and the trust of the community. Or they can feel betrayal by themselves. Hey, why didn't I say something when I saw something being done, someone being bullied, harassed, and now that person has taken their lives? Or why did I have an affair and ruin my family and my children? and that guilt factor that comes through, which is a powerful emotion. So you can have PTS and moral injury at the same time. Uh, But, and I think this is where we become unfortunately brainwashed in the counseling world, as well as our fire service, is that PTS in our data is number three. The number one known reason why our brothers and sisters are killing themselves is relationships, whether personal or professional. By far, the number is almost double, followed by depression. Yet we all talk about PTS. And so we need to really recognize that moral injury, and I'm a firm believer nowadays that moral injury plays a larger role than post-traumatic stress. And so the military has been doing a lot of studies on moral injury for years. And when I spoke to them about their, their data, and I asked them this question. I said, when you looked at your data, what was the highest uh, percentage attributed to suicide? And they said, by far, 
more died by moral injury than post-traumatic stress. And, and so I, I looked at my data and I found that 40 of our brothers and sisters who went to inpatient, actually 41 because there was just one the other day, uh, 41 of them that went to inpatient for either depression, suicidal ideations or addictions, when they came out, they still ended up killing themselves. And I just wonder if they were counseled on PTS and moral right. injury was overlooked uh, because it's not in the DSM-5. So there's no diagnosis for a counselor to say, oh, you have moral injury under you know DSM-5, this, this, and this. And so it, it's being overlooked. And that's a problem since we now know relationships is the number one reason why. Well, and, uh, and it's I, a, I would think too, Jeff, like, I mean, it's, you know, as you're saying this, what I'm, one of the things that like that was just started like the, a flag that popped up in my head is, is um, like this decisiveness that's happening in our country as a whole. And mm -hmm. like, like, so for like, you know, for myself right now, right. And I'll, it, it's not a, not a political statement. It's just a, like, I grew up with a lot of, I grew up in the Catskills in Sullivan County. I knew a, a lot of Hasidic Jewish people. I knew a lot of people mm -hmm. from Hutzola Ambulance. And Israel to me has always been in the right um, because like I, I've, of, of who I was surrounded with in this echo chamber of, right. uh, of Jewish people. And then what happened recently, and then to see, like to have to separate that Israel does not represent all Jewish people or the Jewish faith, like they are not the caliphate of the of right. Jewishness, right? Like that's not, and and then watching pro-Palestinian protest happen and like trying to manage, like all of this is like, it makes my head hurt, but it also makes me internally very sad as a human because of all this death and destruction that's happening there right now. Like I see the images, I watch them pull kids out and I'm just like, how is, and, and there's no there's no easy answer to the solution, but then I like so I deal with that, and then I see my social media feed is all these you know radical views on both sides, and mm -hmm. I don't know where I sit in it. And then sometimes I even feel guilty about having, and I'm, not, I'm still friends with people, you know. But like it's like like I, like did I have it wrong? Did I did I you know like you know it's almost like driving through Ireland on my. Uh, honeymoon and and realizing that my family took me to IRA fundraising events as a kid right. because we didn't know anybody you know I like it was like oh hey the, the they're fighting the good fight and I was like yay the good fight like you know and right. not but now I actually as an adult I'm seeing the peace walls and I'm seeing what Belfast was like and I'm having this guilt over me I mean like and I just use that as this ex weird example of like today it's you know you're a Republican you're a Democrat you're Fox News, uh, you're absolutely. Democrat. You know, it's you're 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 for trans people competing in sports. You're not. You know, like it's 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 a fight on all these levels, and it's just compounding everything that we're, in my opinion, and you know that we're we're seeing we're we're doing. No, no, you're you're absolutely right, Rob. Especially when you talk about the, the Trump Biden one back years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many people lost friendships because one voted for Biden, one vote voted for Trump? How does that ever come in between friends 
You know, that's like saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm a diehard Red Sox. I'm a diehard Yankee. Oh, that's it. Uh, you know, I'm not talking to you ever yeah. again. Dead to me. You know, and it's, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like, yeah, you, you can you can have disagreements. You can not like the same things, but still be friends. And yet so many friendships were torn. And then you started looking about the COVID. You know, the, oh, you yeah. haven't been vaccinated. The, those people were shunned that didn't want vaccinations. And, and so it's just... And all that is a moral injury in that aspect. So we see that in society as well. And then it's, you know, within our, our fire service, you know, the, the moral injury, uh, it happens. And so we need to address it. So I, like I said, I advise people, download the white paper. It's for free. It's on our front page. Just scroll down. And, uh, you know, you can read the abstract. You don't have to read the whole paper because uh, Liz Fletcher uh, did a great job uh, writing it for me. Uh, because I, I speak and write from the heart, so I can't write a white paper. <laughs> so uh, Liz did that, and then Mark uh, Schimmelhoff, and uh, he's the one who interpreted the data, the surveys that we sent out to the fire departments. Uh, he runs the moral injury uh, unit at Rush Memorial, and, and Liz is a professor at the University of Houston. We're actually in the middle of white paper two, and which will talk about the treatments for uh, moral injury. So it's it's alive. We just want people to know what it is and to watch out for it themselves as well as others. And Jeff, just so I because I, I looked this up, it's the wounds of the spirit, moral injury, and firefighters. Correct. Okay. Correct. And is this the like because I, I have one in front of me that's fifteen pages long? Is that the abstract or is that the no? The yeah, that's the actual that's paper. The, the abstract okay. should be the the first part. First there. part. Yeah. Okay. All right. Everybody can uh, obviously see how collegiate I am in this moment. <laughs> so, well, that's why, yeah. you know, I, I, I'll never forget when I went for my master's degree. My first paper I turned in, I got, I got an A on it, but it read circled. It said, see me from the professor. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this brought back trauma from my high school years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, hey, great paper. It was a different perspective from a first responder because I, I don't see a lot of first responders coming through the counseling world. And he said, but you'll never write a white paper. And, and I said, well, I don't want to write paper you know this is 2007 and so, so i have no intention of writing a white paper and uh, he's and, he, and but he said it's not that you don't understand the subject he said but you speak and write from the heart and white papers aren't like that they're very professionally written so i uh, i knew liz as a good friend and i know she had written several and she's she's very good at it so we, we all learn things in life right yeah so I, I, you know, we've been going for uh, you know around fifty minutes now, Jeff, and I just wanted to mm -hmm. ask another. So, like, when we have the question, we we have the conversation, we ask the question, we speak, you know, and I'm just going back to my notes here, you know, we we yeah, be we, direct and challenge with compassion, right? And and we have, you know, I don't want to say we've we have the member who said, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm suicidal and and I need help. In, in the following, like if, if even if we didn't have any of the resources laid out, if we didn't have any of the 12 points, what's what is our next best step for our firefighters today? If they're listening to this for the first time and then they have this conversation, what is their like, how, like, you know, how do we get them to the help? Like, is it something where they can reach out to the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance? Is there a hotline? Is there, you know, like, because at, at some point we have to get somebody to treatment if they are suicidal well if i'm having a, a conversation firefighter to firefighter and they say yes I, I had suicidal thoughts 
And you have to ask them, well, how long ago was that? If they said three or four months ago, that mm -hmm. doesn't seem as imperative, as immediate as, as needed. But it's still a concern. Uh, so, but if they said, well, you know, last night I was sitting in a, uh, my car with a, you know, the CO and I was about to turn on the engine. Well, then, then that's a problem. And then you just tell them, Hey, you know what, let's you and I, uh, and I'll, I'll tell the battalion chief, but let's you and I go over to, uh, the intake, you know, and the, the hospital that we use, whatever resource that is, especially if it's a first responder one, because they're very confidential. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I, I've, I've taken many over. I never had to tell the chief who it was, just that hey, we, uh, you know, I, I took someone in. And uh, that's why you need to have that type of um, resource for those members. Hey, let's go right now. I, I do have to upgrade this because you just told me you thought about killing yourself last night. So I have to do my due diligence as a, as a mandated reporter. But it doesn't mean I have to call him and say, hey, uh, Chief, I'm, I'm taking Jeff Dill in over, uh, you know, to right. it's just I'm um, taking someone in. And they should be uh, abiding by that confidentiality. And if they're not, then that's a problem within an organization. And that's why having guidelines and policies is imperative for organizations. Right. We have we have them on administration. We have them on, on, on scene incidents. We need to have them on behavioral health because it builds trust. And so, okay, let's, let's take someone in. Or, hey, can I call a peer support team member for you? Do you have a chaplain that you'd like to talk to? We can bring in ASAP. Let's take you off the floor, and we might even have to take the rig out of out of service. And so these are the steps that we, we need to follow through, but it has to be done because we can't say, all right, well, let's uh, let's talk tomorrow after the ship because, unfortunately, we've had firefighters that have killed themselves in the stations. Right. And so it's, it's something that needs to be addressed immediately when they say, hey, within 24 hours or hours, I, I thought about killing myself. And you have to take a deep breath yourself. Say, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to upgrade to my chief. I need to make sure I get this person into a place. Maybe it's even a, a department counselor that they might have. But I need to do it ASAP. And so it's uh, and it's scary. There, there's no doubt about it. And, and knowing the language, you know, it, it's not uh, and. Uh, it's not committed suicide or science. It's completed, you know, and, and understanding those type of things. So, uh, and it's ever changing, Rob. There, there's things that I'm learning every day. And, uh, you know, as, as we, you know, learn more and more and we talk more and more to our brothers and sisters that are actually struggling with those issues. So having training, doing role play uh, is imperative for every organization. So, but having that conversation, being direct, challenged with compassion, let them know, hey, I'm, I'm walking the walk with you on this one is, is nice. It's nice to have someone by your side. It's, it's a heavy subject. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, had to take that deep yeah, breath it, myself. It, um, it is. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, but, you know, and it's, it's, it's a lonely life, too. You know, for for me myself, you know, myself personally, because you don't have a lot of friends because people don't want to really talk to you because they're thinking uh, if people see me talking with Jeff, is is he dealing with an issue 
or is Jeff trying to diagnose us through a conversation? You know, and that's not yeah, that's not yeah. it at all. But that's that's the perception that you're given as a peer support team member or someone like yourself who's very proactive in the behavioral health realm. And so it's you have to make sure. And I tell our brothers and sisters, especially if you're on peer support teams, if you can get it into your program that if they're on a peer support team, that you need to go to see a counselor once a year as well. Because not only are you going on those calls and you're experiencing um, those scenes, you have things going on in your own personal life. So now you're, you're picking up others as well as your own. And, and I've been saying this for about eight, 10 years now. And unfortunately, Rob, we started seeing as of late, last couple of years, more and more firefighter and EMS suicides of members that were on peer support teams. Yeah. And, and that's that's a problem. You know, we were all very quick to say, hey, let's let's develop peer support teams. Well, we forgot to take care of our own. And so if you're in an organization, please talk to your peer support team. Make sure that they go to see a counselor uh, once a year just to say, hey, you know, this is what I've been doing. I've, I've heard a lot, but I've also gone through a lot in my own personal life. Take care of yourselves as well. Yeah. Jeff, is there anything else that we have to get out there because i mean we're, we're about an hour and i want to kind of wrap up here but is there anything that we're missing i think it's important to understand though we are accountable for our own actions and the term i always use as you know is internal size up we need to ask ourselves two questions every day why am i acting this way why am i feeling this way and the best thing that we can do is learn how to listen Listen to others who see us better than we will ever see ourselves. I've been married 43 years. My wife knows my every tone of voice, my, uh, my body language, my facial expressions. She knows when I've had a rough day. But listen to your body as well when it says, hey, you know what? I'm not sleeping well. I'm having a lot of digestive issues. I'm dealing with stress and anxiety. It's your body telling you, hey, let's get some help. So doing that internal size up is very important the ability to read yourself and listen to others so uh, you know we could talk for hours and hours about things rob i, I hope that we just yeah. uh hit some small percentage to help out our brothers and sisters so uh, you know recognize the issues approach them challenge with compassion be direct and have resources available for your organization and they always everyone can always call me and say jeff uh, here's the situation. What do you recommend? What can we do? And they can contact me. I don't have a 24-7 line, but I do. <laughs> my, yeah. my cell phone, which is on the webpage, uh, I've answered calls at 2 in the morning numerous times. I, I've had the suicide hotline call me three, three times now saying, we have a first responder on the line. Can you handle this? <laughs> and so please reach out. Do not go down that road by yourself. And if you're out there helping someone, God bless you because yeah. it's amazing when we extend our heart to others. So I, I, I remember a long time ago, there was a quote that um, it was a, a little, I think it was a gift that my mom gave to somebody and it said, have courage when things go wrong. And mm -hmm. I've always thought that this is one of the most courageous things that we as first responders can do is for our fellow first responders is, is having the hard conversation. And, right. and it really, it's hard because it's a true testament of love of our brotherhood and sisterhood in the fire service. So, you know, I always say have courage when things go wrong and have courage to have that, that hard conversation. Um, Cause yeah. you won't, 
I don't want to say you won't regret it, but like you, you, you will regret if you do not have the conversation. Yeah, you're correct. And if you lose a friendship, it's better than standing over their casket and looking at their family and saying, I should have done something. Yeah. So, and I appreciate uh, you, Rob, for bringing this to the forefront and, and bringing it out to the public and talking about it. So it's, it's important, you know, that uh, we have organizations like yourself that are willing to open up the airwaves so others can learn. So yeah. thank you for all your hard work. Oh, thank you. So, all right, everybody, this is Rob, Frontline Mindset with National Fire Radio, wrapping up with Jeff Dill from the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, well, they can come out to Vegas. Right. <laughs> but uh, our, so, our, webpage, <laughs> our webpage, of course, is uh, www.ff, like firefighter, so ffb is in Bravo, ha.org, or you can find us on Facebook at the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. I post uh, videos on there as well, and and, and coming soon, possibly to TikTok. So awesome, excellent. Well, Jeff, hang out for a minute here, but thank you everybody for joining us. This is Rob, National Fire Radio, Frontline Mindset. We'll see you guys out there. Be safe. Take care. <laughs>